0: Started um, quite some time ago, a series called The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And what we're looking at is we're looking at the kings of Israel and Judah. After Solomon, the kingdom was split in two. The kingdom was split in two, and you had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And the northern kingdom was ruled by, um, the northern kingdom was ruled by Jeroboam, who was Solomon's servant, and the southern kingdom was ruled by Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son. And there was a prophecy made to Jeroboam that if he obeyed the Lord, then his kingdom would be blessed just like David's was. And um, But he didn't do that. He set up a Uh, A golden image in uh, two places, in Dan and uh, Beth-Avon in the north. And they became centers of religious worship to stop the people going down to Jerusalem, as was required by law three times a year. So um, Jeroboam set up a new religious system in the new northern kingdom of Israel. Um, The northern kingdom never had any good kings. And they were all bad. Out of the 19 kings that ruled in the north, none of them were good. And they were all referred back to like Jeroboam. They departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat that made Israel to sin. So what we've been looking at over the past uh, few weeks, we've been looking at these kings in order that they came to the throne. Um, So we've seen how um, these kings uh, overlap. Um, So when Jeroboam was reigning in the northern kingdom, Rehoboam was um, Solomon's son, uh, then his son Abijah reigned, then Asa, um, Abijah's son reigned during the reign of Jeroboam, and Asa was the first good king of the southern kingdom. And then during Asa's reign, you had a lot of to and fro in the north, the kings didn't really reign for very long, and they changed dynasty. Um, So Jeroboam's son was uh, Nadab. He was um, assassinated by Baasha. And then you had Baasha and his son Elah reign. Elah uh, was uh, uh, then uh, uh, usurped by Zimri. Uh, Then Zimri was um, killed, uh, took his own life. And Omri took the throne. And then Omri's dynasty um, was the, the famous Ahab and Jezebel period and during that time of those wicked kings reigning you had Elijah and Elisha uh, as the prophets during the time of Ahab and Jezebel Um, Jehoshaphat was a good king in the south uh, but all of the good kings in the south they weren't perfect like David's reign It always said they started well but then they didn't quite finish well Um, they started well in terms of being good kings But they didn't have a great finish. Uh, Jehoshaphat, uh, prime example, did really well as a king. um, Kind of um, got the the kingdom organized. But then he allowed his son to marry Athaliah, who was Ahab's daughter. So he made this alliance then between the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom. And that just made an absolute um, mess. Um, And then, um, again... Uh, we, we see good kings come to the throne. Joash um, was a good king, um, even though Athaliah tried to um, try to kill him. Uh, he was uh, protected by his um, by his aunt, and as long as the priest Jehoiada was alive, um, Joash did really good. But as soon as Jehoiada left, um, Joash kind of made the same sort of um, mistakes uh, again. Uh, we won't go through all of all of the kings, but none of the kings in the north were good. Only eight of the kings in the south uh, were good. Um, Asa being the first one, Jehoshaphat was good. Um, Joash was good. Amaziah was good, and um, Uzziah was good. Was well, probably um, we know more about Uzziah from the fact that I- Isaiah's famous vision of the Lord in the temple was in the year. That Uzziah died. Isaiah saw the Lord in the temple. Um, so, in the northern kingdom, Uzziah's been on the throne for uh, 52 years. Uh, he comes to the throne during Jeroboam the second's reign, and what's happening in the north is quite crazy because during Uzziah's reign, you're going to have all of these kings come to the throne. All but one of them are assassinated. Um, there's only one that dies a natural death. And last time we looked at Zechariah. Um, he was the son of Jeroboam second. He was the last king of um, Jehu's line. And Jehu was given the prophecy that four generations would sit upon the throne. Zechariah was the last of that line. And, uh, 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 and we, we looked at him last week. Uh, And his name means Jehovah remembers. And we looked at the fact that God remembers. Uh, We saw God remembered Noah. um, God remembered Rachel. God remembered lots of things. (laughs) Five things God remembered. He remembered his covenant and he remembered Abraham. Thank you, Joe. Good job looking at your notes. Um, So last week we looked at Zechariah. Um, So we're going to look at I've titled this The Kings of Assassination just because the majority of them were assassinated. Um, But we're going to look at each king individually tonight. They didn't reign very long. Um, They they didn't uh, spend that long on the throne. And sometimes there's more written about the person who assassinated them than the actual king who sat upon the throne. So let's look at 2 Kings um, chapter 15. And uh, we'll we'll go back to verse 8, looking um, at Zechariah, and we'll look at uh, how uh, Shalom uh, came to uh, prominence. So it says in 2 Kings 15, verse 8, In the thirty-eighth year of Azariah, that's the same as Uzziah, king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign over Israel in Samaria six months And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done, and departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, and smote him before the people, and slew him, and reigned in his stead." And the rest of the acts of Zechariah, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. This was the word of the Lord, which he spake unto Jehu, saying, Thy son shall sit on the throne of Israel unto the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the nine and thirtieth year of Uzziah, king of Judah. And he reigned a full month in Samaria. For Manahem, the son of Gadi went up from Terzad and came to Samaria. And smote Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria. And slew him and reigned in his stead. And the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy which he made, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this time together today, for this opportunity to come around you your word. And Father, as we stand on the brink of a new year, we recognize the fact that we have an opportunity for uh, new starts, for new beginnings, for new lists, for uh, a whole host uh, of things that we failed to do this year uh, to be accomplished in our lives in the next year. And Father, I just pray that as we look at these kings, as we look at the, uh, the monotony of sin in their lives, that we would realize that we have an opportunity to make a difference, not just in our lives, in our home, in our workplace, in our community, wherever you've placed us Father, we are able to do that because of the the strength that you give us and the opportunity to have a testimony that would reach others for the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, I just pray that you would speak to our hearts today and help us to learn uh, from uh, the acts of of those that were uh, in regards to being bad kings, that you would help us to learn and take a leaf from their book uh, so that we might not make those same mistakes ourselves. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So the first king we're going to look at is Shalom, and we've titled him the King of Retribution. Uh, It's incredible that the the Bible says time and time and time again, you reap what you sow. Uh, That is a a fundamental basic fact of the Bible. And what we see in the northern kingdom is the same mistakes being made over and over and over again. And you wonder why nobody has ever turned around and said, right, hang on a minute. This is not working. Why keep doing the same thing and going over the same thing and making the same mistake and not getting the fact that if we don't change something, we're just going to keep going through the same old thing? Um, It's Shalom's turn to be king now, and if Zechariah's term was briefly only reigned for six months, um, Shalom's term is even shorter. He only reigns, uh, he only sits on the throne for one month. Um, Of all the kings of Israel, only one king reigned for a shorter period of time than that, and that was Zimri. And how long did Zimri reign for? Seven days. One week. Zimri was on the throne, and now Shalom uh, comes to the throne, and he reigns for one month. His name means retribution, and you wonder how long he's looked at um, you know, the, uh, the line of Jehu, how long he's looked at the, the kings before, and how long he's thought, right, my time is going to come to shine. Uh, And he finally gets his moment of revenge. He finally gets his moment of retribution. Um, It's unsure if, when it says that um, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign. It's unsure if Jabesh was his father or if he was from um, Jabesh, which we are familiar with as Jabesh, Gilead, uh, beyond um, Jordan. Um, But it's it's incredible uh, how he... Uh, th- this isn't kind of an act that is done in the spur of the moment. Uh, now, some people suggest that as he's from that area, Jabesh Gilead, he might be working in hand with the Syrians. Now then, what you find during this period of time, you find that Syria and assyria not to be confused syria is is kind of roughly where modern day syria is assyria it was the empire which was kind of north of where the babylonian empire was, so like northern iraq and that type of area but they play play, play a big part in uh, what is going on in israel at this time we see assyria uh, coming against them. We also see um, it, it, at times um, Judah and, and, and Israel turn to Syria for help, and they also turn to Assyria for help as well. They just seem to turn to the, um, the, the person they thought they could get the, uh, kind of the most protection from, regardless of whether the beliefs lined up, regardless of whether the Lord had told them to do that or not. So some say that um, Shalom could have been working uh, or being assisted by the Syrians. And the manner in which he seizes the throne from Zechariah speaks about his lustful power. Shalom, he says in verse 10 of chapter 15, the son of Jabesh conspired against Zechariah and smote him before the people. Uh, that means that he killed him in front of everybody. It was a public um, execution, as it were. He grasped the political moment to further his own ends. But you reap what you sow. He lasted for just one month. A month later, uh, he reigned for a full month. In the, he- in the Hebrew that it means a, a month of days. Um, his newfound power was about to be snatched from his grasp, Because in verse 14, it says, For Manahem, the son of Gadi." went up from Terza and came to Samaria and smote Shalom the son of Jabesh in Samaria and slew him and reigned in his stead. Proverbs twenty-six, twenty-seven says, Whoso diggeth a pit shall fall therein and he that rolleth a stone it will return upon him. So short is Shalom's reign that the author doesn't even have anything to say about him. Um, at least, even with, um, uh, um, with... Ah, my days, my mind has gone crazy. Even with Zimri only reigning for a short period of time, you did have kind of a bit of detail about his death. Um, but with Shalom even reigning for a month, the author's like, I don't really know what to say about him. There's not much to say. You know, how sad when you've waited all of that time to finally get your revenge, to finally get your retribution, saying, yes, you know, I got one over on that family. Yes, I've, you know, I've, I've torn somebody down to lift myself up only for the Lord to turn around and say, no. You know, when we try and make a name for ourselves by tearing somebody else down, we're certainly not bringing any glory to the Lord and we're not doing ourselves any favors at all Shalom uh, Manaheim receives far more attention um, than Shalom does and so we come to the next person who takes the throne Manaheim and he is just the king of instability Uh, Manaheim uh, it says that he, in verse 16, smoked uh, Tibsar and all that were therein, and the coasted off from Turza, because they opened not to him. Therefore he smote it, and all the women therein that were with child he ripped up. In the nine and thirtieth year of uh, Uzziah, king of Judah, began Manahem, the son of Gadi, to reign over Israel, and reigned ten years in Samaria. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the days, uh, all his days from the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And Pul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Manahem gave Pul a thousand talents of silver that his hand might be with him to confirm the kingdom in his hand. And Manahem exacted the money of Israel, even of all the mighty men of wealth, of each man 50 shekels of silver, to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and stayed not there in the land, And the rest of the acts of Menahem, and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Menahem slept with his fathers, and Pichai, his son, reigned in his stead. You might say, well, why is he the king of instability? He reigned for ten years. Surely that's more stable than the month of, uh, of Shalom. Surely that's more stable than the six months of Zechariah. But what happens is, is what he has done, he has actually destabilized Israel in his actions. He, if you remember when we looked at um, Jehoshaphat, and what Jehoshaphat did then in terms of strengthening the kingdom of Israel. Uh, of Judah, uh, how he placed his sons in strategic places around the country to make sure that the country was protected that the country was, looked after, that the trade routes were protected, that the, you know, the, everything flowed through the, the country properly. What Manahem did well, would cause complete instability for Israel and would in effect steamroller events that were about to come to ahead with Assyria. He didn't trust in the Lord. And why would he? Nobody has since the days of Jedhoboam. They've not led by example, you know, in terms of saying, right, to the nation, we need to turn back to Jehovah God. We need to turn back to the God who called us out of Egypt. We need to turn back to the God who brought us through the wilderness and actually brought us to this land. We need to turn back to the God of the covenant. They didn't do that. They got further and further and further entrenched in their sinful lifestyle, and it was almost as if it was just, we're too far in to get out of it. Yeah, You know, which king turns around and says, actually, this is not working. You know, whenever we see a a change in the political spectrum, what always happens is the new party comes in and blames everything on the party that just went out. That's, That's always what happens. But it gets to a point where you've been in position for so long... You can't blame anybody else. You know, it has to be your fault. I don't think I've ever met anybody yet who's come around and, and, and given an honest answer, do you know what? This policy didn't work. This, this has been no good. And, you know, we're going to take it on the chin and we're going to put things right and we're going we, we, to kind of make a difference. Well, what I'm saying all of that to say this. The, the kings of Israel were in too deep. They couldn't turn around and say, do you know what? This, 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 this religious structure's not working pray into this, uh, this this golden calf in Dan and, and Beth-haven. That's not working. We need to get back to God. So they didn't do that. And what Manahem did is he trusted in gold and silver far more than he trusted in God. Now, Peter says we are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. We're redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. But the thing is, how many times do we see people put in their faith and their trust and their dependency in monetary things, in material things? What Manahem does here is, is he tries to buy off the Assyrians. He was a man of war. He was, uh, he was a ruthless man. Um, he was a man feared. By the people, he, he ruled for 10 years. You know, nobody tried to assassinate him. He died a, a natural death. Uh, but he was a brutal man. And again, he is only doing what he has been brought up with. Remember we said that possibly Shalom was, uh, you know, was used by the, the Syrians to, uh, to kind of uh, uh, infiltrate uh, the, 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 um, the, the, the political spectrum. Uh, I've no doubt that Manahem was just following some of the Syrian tactics and traditions of the time. Hosea says, uh, Hosea 13:16, "Samaria shall become desolate, for she hath rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword; their infants shall be dashed in pieces, and their women with child shall be ripped up." That's exactly what Manahem did. He did something that would cause the people to fear his type of ring. And that didn't bring stability to the area. If anything, it just kind of made things worse. When Assyria comes against, and and again, Manaheim is just a picture of a perfect bully. You know, the women and children, that's an easy target to go after. But when a real army comes against them, when the Assyrians come against them, he doesn't flex his muscles there and he shows his true worth. You ever see that in school when bullies used to pick on people and then somebody would actually stand up to them and they weren't the tough person that everybody thought that they were? And that's what happens here. Mannheim's just a bully. But then the Assyrians turn up. Um, what he's done is his political activities has placed the nation in peril. And now Assyria comes against uh, the nation and will fight there for six long years. But when the Assyrians invade the land, Manahem just taxes all the wealthy citizens and he gives Paul a thousand talents of silver. So how much is a thousand talents of silver? Can you remember a couple of weeks ago we looked at Amaziah and he paid Israel a hundred talents of silver for a 100,000 man army. A hundred talents of silver were 75 pound in weight. And um, that was 7,500 pounds of silver at 18 pounds, 82 pence per ounce. So that was um, two and a quarter million pounds that Amaziah paid the Northern armies of Israel. That was just a hundred talents of silver 1,000 talents of silver is 7,500 pounds. That is 22 million pounds in today's money. That's how much Manahem gave Paul, the king of Assyria, to leave them alone. You can only buy yourself out of trouble so much. What does that do? Does that cause the king of Assyria to say, Oh, do you know, I'm going to leave them alone now because... You know, they, 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 they don't want to be attacked. And no, what he says is these, these people are weak. I'm just going to come back for more money. What a difference. You know, we haven't come to Hezekiah yet, but we're going to look at when Assyria comes against Jerusalem and we look at the, the way in which Hezekiah dealt with the Assyrian army coming against Israel in contrast with how Manahem dealt with the Assyrian army coming against Samaria Hezekiah trusted in the Lord. And he was made fun of. Uh, Rabshakeh, uh, or Sennacherib, Rabshakeh said to him, Oh, look at you, you've, you've taken away all the gods. The people have got nobody to worship. What well, Hezekiah then he'd removed the high places and he had taken the nation back to worshiping God. And God gave Hezekiah the victory. Menahem doesn't have that option to turn back to the Lord, because they're so entrenched in idol worship, that he's still got to trust his idols, and he's trusting in gold and silver, and he tries to pay off the Assyrians. The Assyrians left, but they're going to come back a few years later, and they're going to take the whole northern kingdom captive. He pays a large amount of money for a short-term gain, which will result in a long-term loss. You see, that's exactly what the world does today. When the world refuses and they continue to bow down to idols rather than coming back to the true God, it's a short-term gain for a long-term loss. You know, people say, I don't want to become a Christian because there's too much I'd have to give up. So I'm going to keep living my life the way I want to live it. I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep worshiping false idols of the world And I'm not going to give God his proper place in my life. Yeah, that's a short-term gain. There is pleasure in sin for a season. You know, Stephen said that about Moses. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But it's a short-term gain. Because one day, every single person will stand before a holy God. And a holy God will say, what did you do with my son? What did you do with the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you accept the free gift of salvation that I gave to you, or did you reject it? And a lot of people will go for a short-term gain, but that'll result in a long-term loss. When you accept Christ as your Savior, there may be things that you lose out on. There, There may be things in this world you may get mocked, made fun of. But what difference does that make when you gain eternity? Manahem had a short term gain he gave a large sum of the money to, to Assyria and they went for a bit but they'd return and they'd be back and it would be far worse next time because they wouldn't be able to pay Assyria off again says the Manahem slept with his fathers and Pekiah his son reigned in his stead in the 50th year of Azariah, Uzziah, king of Judah. Pekiah, his son, uh, son of Manaheim, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned two years, and did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, but Pekiah, the son of Ramaliah, a captain of his, conspired against him and smoked him in, in Samaria, in the palace of the king's house. So Pekiah is the king of disorder, Pekiah begins to reign in Samaria in the 50th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. Uh, And again, if you are, if you're kind of looking at maths and looking at time frames, then you will notice that something doesn't quite add up here because we see that Manahem, uh, he uh, comes uh, Pekiah reigns in the 50th year of, Az, uh, of Azariah. And manaheim came to the throne in the 39th year of Azariah. And he reigned for 10 years. So that would take you to the 49th year of, uh, of Uzziah's reign. But why did Pekiah not come to the throne till the 50th year? You know, there's a few. We always see that where you think, oh, there's a contradiction. Oh, the Bible's wrong. Oh, there's. But that doesn't mean that the Bible's wrong. It's just recorded correctly. You know, there are times when. Um, Sends overlapped in their reign with the father um, as co-regents. It's possible there was political instability. And after Manahem died, there was a a year or so before um, Pekiah took uh, the throne. But you just see the period of disorder during this time. Um, And we recognize the fact that God is a God of order. God wants there to be order and stability in our lives. Um, But oftentimes when we try to do things in our own strength and in our own way and with our own reasoning, then it only ever brings disorder and chaos. You ever done that where you've kind of made a decision and you've thought, yeah, this is definitely the right thing to do. You've not really prayed about it. You've not really sought the Lord. You've not really kind of asked counsel of anybody. You've not really um, read uh, uh, and asked God to give you a clear direction. You've just gone ahead and done it. And then that decision's turned out to be an absolute disaster. And you're like, why on earth did I do that? God is a God of order. He wants it to be order in our lives. Uh, if the interesting of the year is Pekiah, his actual name means Jehovah has seen or Yah has observed. Um, and I just think it's comical how these northern kings failed to give God the place that he deserved and kept on worshiping these idols, not recognizing the fact that they weren't making a difference in their land. They weren't making a difference for in a positive aspect in their lives. It's, again, interesting that you reap what you sow. Manahem took the throne by force killing Shalom uh, and yet his uh, son Pekiah is about to meet uh, the same type of fate because Pekiah he was going to be killed by um, Pica, the son of Ramaliah Um, it says in the 50th year, in verse 23 of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekiah, the son of Manahem, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, reigned two years, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And in verse 25, Pekiah conspired against him, who was a captain uh, of his um, guards. Uh, He killed him in the king's house, in the king's palace. Now, if I was to say to you, where is In the king's point of view, where is the safest place to be? In the palace. Picaiah was in the safest place he could possibly be. Uh, And yet, that is where his life was ended. He was slain in the palace. The the word palace there, from Strong's concordance, literally means citadel. Um, And it's meant to be a stronghold. It's meant to be a safe place, the most secure place that he could find, um, a a fortified citadel of the royal house. And yet, that's where he met his end. Again, very little is mentioned about Picaiah other than his death. But he didn't bring order to the kingdom. He didn't bring stability to the kingdom. He didn't bring a religious revival to the kingdom. He didn't bring the people back to their God. He just continued with the disorder that has been brought upon the northern kingdom by king after king after king after king. And then finally, we see Pica, the king of alliance. It says in, the, uh, in, in verse 27, in the two and fiftieth year of Azariah, so in the last year of Uzziah's reign, um, Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, began to reign over Israel in Samaria and reigned 20 years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, in the days of Pekah, king of Israel, came tilgath Pilsner, the king of Assyria, and took Ajon and Abel, Janath, Mahesh, and Janosh, and Kedesh, and Hazor, and Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali, and carried them captive to Assyria. And Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramaliah, and smote him and slew him, and reigned in his stead in the twentieth year of Jotham, son of Uzziah. So Pekah... Um, He reigns the longest out of these last group of kings that we've looked at. He reigns for 20 years in Samaria, and he comes to the throne in the last year of Uzziah and reigns um, during um, Uzziah's son, Jotham's reign. Uh, And again, uh, it's, it's interesting that little is said about Peter. And when you look at all of this, you think, well, why... Why did the Lord allow him to reign for 20 years? He, he killed Pekiah he, in, in the palace. So why does he get to reign for 20 years? Why did Pekah only reign for two years and his father reigned for 10? Why, you know, did um, Shalom only reign for a, a month and Zechariah get to reign for six months? They were all just as wicked and they were all just as bad and they were all just as evil as one another. But isn't it incredible how during this time, Hosea is prophesying and trying to get the nation back to the Lord. When you look at Hosea's prophecy, when you, you, you know, we don't really get a, a, a glimpse, we don't get a, a, a great picture of what Israel is like during this time. But when you read the book of Hosea, you see exactly how wicked Israel was. And how patient God was in pleading with his people to come back to him. Hosea, God said to Hosea, look, I want you to marry, we basically want him to marry a, a woman that was going to go off into, to become a harlot and to, you know, to have um, affairs and to have children uh, that weren't Hosea's. And for him to actually raise those children as his own. And that was a picture of what Israel, as God's bride, had done to him. They had turned their back on God and committed spiritual adultery with all of these idols that these kings had set up. And the nation was in a mess. It wasn't getting any better. And yet, Hosea shows us how loving God was to his people. Hosea then goes and buys Goma back as a, a, a disused slave. Hosea goes and buys back the woman that he loves. Would we have done that? You've hurt me. We we, we all hold grudges. Women hold grudges far better than men. They got a better grip or a better memory probably because they can't remember what, what was done to us. But we're good at holding grudges, aren't we? And sometimes we really struggle to forgive somebody for something they've done to us years and years ago. And yet God uses Hosea to demonstrate his love for the woman that had humiliated him, the woman that had turned her back on him, the woman that had committed adultery against him and had two children that weren't his. And God demonstrates how much he loved his people. You look at this instability that's going on in the nation at this time. They're refusing to worship God and God is still saying, but I love you so much. All they had to do was accept his love to them. That's what Goma did. She accepted Hosea's love towards her as he brought her back to himself. How incredible that even in a period of turmoil, God was still reaching out his hand ...of love to his people. We don't know much about Pekah again. There's not much said about him. We know, um, and and it's interesting, that he is referred to more as the son of Remaliah. Uh, 2 Chronicles 28.6 For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, which were all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And again, Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, and the first um, few verses... Uh, mention, um, Pekah, and the, him being the son of Remaliah. It came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, the king of Judah, that resin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, um, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up towards Jerusalem. Um, his father, Remaliah, his name actually means protected by Jehovah, uh, and appears to be a prominent man. Um, But he was known for his hostility towards the southern kingdom. And although they didn't realize it at the time, they were just instruments in the Lord's hands um, as he chastens um, the southern kingdom of Judah. During Pekah's reign, the Assyrians returned to attack Israel. uh, Again, proving that Menaheim's payoff was absolutely useless and pointless. Uh, And we have one more king in the northern kingdom, Hosea or Hosea, before the northern kingdom is taken off into captivity by the um, Assyrians. It's incredible that Israel, the northern kingdom at least, never learned from their mistakes. King after king after king carried on in the sins of Jeroboam. Prophet after prophet after prophet came. Elijah, Elisha, Amos, Hosea, Jehu. They came and they spoke to the nation to get them to turn back to the Lord. It's incredible that Poor leadership led to uh, poor spiritual, um, led to poor um, social um, activities. And it was a deadly combination. And it all started with the leadership of the kings. Another king had promoted Jeroboam's false religious system. And he too would be assassinated. Out of all of those kings that we looked at, including Zechariah, Only Manahem Manahem died a natural death. The Lord had given a succession of kings every opportunity to repent. But they'd refused. So what does all of that mean to us? We stand on the precipice of a new year. Uh, How many of you already have started thinking, right, next year, this is what I'm going to do. How many of you have thought, right, next year, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something I've never done before. Maybe you will commit to, maybe you've never read through the Bible in a year, and maybe you're going to make that commitment to do just that. Uh, Maybe you are going to do something new when it comes to witnessing to people, to handing out tracts, to just even doing the smallest thing in your Christian walk. We have a new, fresh start, a new page 2024 hasn't even started yet. And sometimes we can approach the new year in one of two ways. We can either think, right, this is it. We're going we're gonna to really make a difference this year, and we're going to, you know, the gyms will be full now this week with people who had, like, sp- Lycra for Christmas, and they'll use it for, like, two days, and that'll be it, that'll be the end of it. Um, but, we, but we make it, right, I'm going to diet, um, Why why do we do that when we've had all that chocolate for Christmas? It's like, brilliant. You know, the poor old Teddy's chocolate oranges would be discarded left, right, and center. You know, we were fighting for them Christmas Eve, and now, New Year's Eve, we're like, can't wait to get rid of them so we don't have to eat them ever again. But we kind of do that, don't we? We want to do something new for the new year. And we have the opportunity to do that. We have an opportunity for a fresh start. But will we be like these kings? You know, will we be like Shalom, the king of retribution? Do we think, right, this year I'm going to get even with a few people. There's a few people on my list that need a piece of my mind. Probably can't afford to give them a piece of your mind. You need to keep it all to yourself. Maybe there's a few people you want to get even with. Maybe there's a few people that rubbed you up the wrong way this year and instead of putting things right, you just rather get even. It's not the way to start the year. Because anger is just going to beget anger and that's just going to make you miserable and it's just going to make things worse. Maybe you're not like Shalom. Maybe you are like Manaheim and you are just the person who wreaks instability. And, and what we want, we just want things to be stable, don't we? We'd, we'd like to go through the new year with no problems. We'd like to go through the year with, with no mishaps. We'd like to go through the year with no pain and no heartache. And But we recognize that that's not going to happen. But what we can do, even with difficulties and with trials and with tribulations and with um, distress and with loss and with whatever, we can still go through the year stable because of who's holding our hands through the difficulties. Just because everything around us seems to be falling apart, it doesn't mean that we have to. You know, it's okay if we're hanging by a thread as long as that thread is at the end of his garment. Let's have a year of stability. Not that everything goes smooth for us, but that we just keep trusting him for everything. Let's not be like um, Pekiah, Let's not have disorder in our year this year. We do good, don't we? In the the first of the year, we we make those lists. Now, writing is nice and neat on that first page. And then kind of everything goes out of the window. But in order for us to have order in our lives, the priority in our lives has to be right. To seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things shall be added unto you. For Christ to have the preeminence in our lives. For us to put the Lord first. For us to love the Lord our God with all our heart. With all our mind. With all our strength. With everything that is within us. So let's make sure that our order is right. And that God has first place in everything that we do. And then finally... Let's make sure that our alliance is right. Pika lined up with the wrong people. Looked for help in the wrong places. And it came back to hurt him. So let me say this. If you've never trusted Christ as your savior, then this year make a new alliance. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your savior. Let me tell you something. The short-term gains that you get on this world without Christ will lead to a long-term loss. If you accept Christ as your Savior in this world, then that will lead to a long-term gain. It's called eternity. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So make a new alliance. What's stopping you? What is stopping you from just taking that step to say, okay, I know I'm not perfect, I know I've done wrong. Uh, The Bible calls that sin. I know I've sinned and broken God's commands. But Jesus died in our place. He's the one that paid the debt for sin so that our relationship with God could be made right. So that our home in heaven could be secured. Maybe you need to make a new alliance this year. And then for those of you who are saved, Maybe we need to renew that alliance in terms of stop relying on yourself. Stop making decisions and leaving the Lord out of it. Stop kind of trying to work things out for yourself and do things in your own strength. And let's just recommit and rededicate and realign, as it were, you know, the Bible says that the Lord never leaves us and never forsakes us, but we have a way of wandering off. But let's just make sure that our alliance is right. That'll be a good start to the new year. I know sometimes we might look at the new year with a bit of trepidation and think, oh, we've got to start again. Oh, it's Christmas is over. The decorations are coming down. The lights are gone. It's like, oh, it doesn't have to be uh yeah I know the weather's rubbish, it's always rubbish. You live in Wales. You should be used to it by now. The weather's always bleak and dark and damp and but I'm thankful that the sun for the believer is always shining. I'm thankful for the fact that the light of the world dwells within me and it doesn't matter how dark and how miserable the weather is outside. The Lord Jesus Christ has the ability to make everything feel okay. So let's make the right start to the new year. And let's make sure we give him the proper place in our lives. Father, we thank you again for this day and for this time together. And for this opportunity to come around you, a word. Lord, I just pray you you continue to speak to our hearts, Lord. Father, we just pray you'd help us to have the right start tomorrow as we have a whole new year ahead of us help us to make sure that you take the right place in our lives that we give you the right priority in our in everything that we do and Father we just ask that you would help us to have a year that is full of order and stability that has that right alliance with the Lord Jesus Christ and that we would be able to say that 2024 will be our best year yet we pray and ask these things in Christ's name Amen Amen. Standing, saying, "I will ask Him together yesterday, today, forever. And during the last uh, verse of this hymn, I'm going to ask Andrew Davis if he'd just come forward and then close us in a word of prayer. Thank you. <laughs>
1: Father, we thank you for that name, that name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. We thank you for this time our God spent together in thy presence this morning, our God. We thank thee for uh, the things we have learned about the kings, those things we have learned but find it very difficult to remember, our God. And yet, when we look at the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, We see so much failure, our God and Father. And the failure is caused by turning our backs on a holy God. By turning our backs on the word of God. And the precepts and the principles of God. We pray, our God and Father, we will not only know the book of God, but we will know the God of the book. We pray, our God and Father, that we will make a decision. Even today, to read thy word, to abide by thy word, and to turn the, in, turn to thee, our God in every situation, A God who never changes. A God who is the same yesterday, today and forever. Bless us now our God as we part, we pray. and as we part, be with us and bring us back together again, for we ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.